Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast, a convenient place where you can stay up to date on what's popular in the swine industry. By listening to Popular Pig, you will receive invaluable information on the latest trends, news, and research from various experts who guide the global pork industry. Popular Pig is brought to you by Swine Tech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com. Popular Pig is also made possible by Johnsonville Foods, High Pork Genetics, Minitube, Brenneman Pork, Fibro Animal Health, Swine Robotics, Innovative Heating, and PigEquipment.com. Brought to you by American Resources. Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast. My name is Matthew Rota, your host for today's episode. Today, we're going to talk about the importance of water biosecurity with Jesse McCoy, a certified water specialist with Neogen. How are you doing today, Jesse? I'm fantastic. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. So what do we need to know about water, Jesse? Well, um, if you've ever seen one of my presentations in the industry, uh, I, I typically start off with a couple slides about who I am and why I'm a giant water geek. And then I jump into the fact that a piglet is 82% water, that a pig hanging on the shackle uh, is 51 to 52% water, and manure is 90.8% water. And then I look at the crowd and I say, so over half of what you sell, because that's what we make money on in this industry, right? Pigs in a package, pigs going, um, you know, from a sow into a, a production facility, or we're selling manure. And so when you think about the fact that over half of the money, no matter what part of that process you're in, comes from water, then, you know, you start thinking about, well, half of the phone that you're listening on this right now, if you're using a phone or if you're on a computer, right, half of that computer, half of your internet bill, half of the fuel in your car, the shoes on your feet, um, your kid's college fund, right? Uh, we're all in the water business. And I think we've spent so long thinking about so many other things in this industry that we've kind of forgotten water. Uh, a lot of people call it the forgotten nutrient. And so uh, what do we need to know about water? That it makes up most of your paycheck is what I try to harp on. And what three things today, as we kind of dig into this for, for listeners, what are the three takeaway points people should get? Okay. So if you're going to take three things away from today, would say the first thing would be start thinking about water. Do you have enough? What's the quality? Are you double stocking a barn that you designed for, you know, 1,200 finishers and now you got 2,400 in it? Do you have enough water getting to your pigs? Just thinking about water the same way that we think about feed, the same way that we think about, um, you know, pharmaceuticals, vaccines, that type of thing. You know. It, Feed light air water uh, all the time. Feed light air water. That's what it takes to grow an animal, right? And so we spent a lot of time on feed. We spent some time on light, a lot of time on air. And now we're kind of in the W on that. Um, so that would be the first thing. Uh, the second thing, hopefully by the end of today, depending on how the conversation goes, I will have convinced someone to clean water lines out there. Um, I can't even begin to tell you, although I feel like I will at some point try to tell you during this, how important water line cleaning is. 
uh, all of the things inside of that barn that it can impact the health of those animals. Um, and, and just that it's easy, right? It doesn't have to be hard, uh, which would lead me to the number three thing is that, you know, I think water quality is daunting to a lot of people. Um, nobody had a water quality 101 course when they went to, you know, college and did an animal science degree or, or a vet degree or, you know, whatever. A high school degree, it doesn't matter, right? Um, water is one of those things that we just have traditionally not talked about. And because of that, it's uncomfortable for people to talk about it. They don't know who to call. Um, I would say the resources are out there. And so you don't have to be intimidated by water. Um, there are plenty of people out there that would love to talk to you about it. So before we dive into this this topic, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? <laughs> yeah, it's it's always weird to talk about yourself, but I'll I'll give it a shot. Um, I started out in the poultry industry. I don't hide that fact. Um, if if there's anybody listening that has talked to me previously, they will probably be laughing at this point. Uh, so I cut my teeth in the poultry industry. Uh, grew up in the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia, surrounded by poultry farms. Um, we like to, uh, say in Rockingham County that we came up with integrated poultry production. There are brass turkeys on the way into that County that, that, uh, like to say <laughs> the same. Yeah. So we're proud of that. Um, uh, but I grew up thinking that I didn't want to work in, in the poultry industry and then got to 16 years old and realized, uh, that was all I had. Um, grew up on a, a replacement heifer farm and, um, so got into the poultry industry, started working in engineering, wastewater, environmental stuff, uh, realized that water smelled better before it went into animals as opposed to after it came out. And so went into the production side. Uh, I was that kid that went to college and knew what they wanted to do. So I worked my way through college, uh, staying at that uh, poultry company, graduated, went into consulting. Um, 2007 I walked onto my first swine facility which now that I realize that was 15 years ago seems like a long time but I still kind of feel like the new kid on the block in the in the swine industry um and now I do pigs poultry and cattle are my specialties every once in a while I'll get a random horse farmer or uh like sheep and goats those are always interesting but um primarily my time is spent in poultry and swine yeah sheep and goats that's 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 a little interesting that's a bit different yeah you start getting into weird uh gastrointestinal tracts and and i mean maybe that's something interesting at least for me to point out um water for all those animals is different for what you want out of them um huh yeah just some things you know people are different than pigs for example we are are very similar when you look at us, uh, you know, from a biological view, we're monogastric. Um, but we want to make pigs get fast, get bigger faster. We do not want that out of people. And so <laughs> when you start looking at the water quality, like uh, from a municipal water system, for example, that water is, comes to your house if you're not on a well. 
or even if you are on a well and you've had somebody look at it, that water comes to your house in a way that you would not necessarily want to have that water go to your pigs because they're less efficient with it. And what we spend our time doing on the swan side is changing that water so that animal is more efficient with it. We want that water to to make them want to eat more. We want that water to increase absorption of nutrients and minerals in people we don't, right? If we fed the same water to people we did to pigs, we'd all be, you know, more overweight than we are uh, because we don't have the same lifestyle, right? And um, so it it gets interesting. Again, I'm a self-proclaimed water geek, so it's interesting to me, maybe not for everybody out there. Um, if we would look at dairies, it would be totally different because they're a totally different GI tract. You know, I think it is interesting, at least it is to me, because when you go through that class in high school where they talk about water and you're you're testing for all the different things and, and maybe even an undergrad in biology, it's yeah, it's not as exciting. But then when you actually start applying it to to the growth rates of hogs and other animals, it's fascinating that you're right, water plays different roles in each life form's approach to, to what we're trying to get out of it. And and that that's that's really interesting. And I guess I'd ask that when you focus on the first point you wanted to make around what we're doing, what are you seeing out there? What are you running into? What what are your your customers asking about? So I would say it first off depends on the customer, right? Sow site, finisher, nursery site. Um, everybody has has different end goals in mind, if you will, right? Um, and so for a sow site, for example, I treat a sow site just like I would a dairy because the way that sow producer makes money is they have piglets and they become a certain size in a certain amount of time, right? And the larger that piglet is, the more pigs per sow per year they can get, the more money they make. And so with water, we don't know that we can affect the amount of um, embryos that develop, that type of thing, right? We've got some data out there showing, yeah, we can have more liveborns than stillborns, that type of thing. But the better that sow lactates, the more pigs she can keep alive, the larger those pigs will be. And so to me, it's all about lactation on a sow site. And then we move in the nursery phase where we go, you know, from that piglet drinking milk to that piglet eating feed and drinking water. We're really focusing on getting that gut biota uh, in the way we want, right? We're focusing on growing beneficial bacteria in there, keeping the dreaded, you know, post wean scours at bay and trying to get them off on the right foot. And then when we move into finishers, it's all about eating feed. The more feed we can get in them, the the faster they're going to grow. Um, we want to keep pathogens out of them because we're trying to keep those diseases that are of consequence in our industry at bay. So it really becomes taste and odor and pathogen pathogen control there. Um, and it's it's always it's always fun. You go to to different areas. You know, I go to North Carolina and we've got low pH water and you've got, you know, pipes that used to be galvanized that are now falling apart. And 
you got a producer that looks at you and he says, Hey, let's, I want to do something here. And you look at him and say, well, the first thing we need to do is run some new water line and then we'll talk about your water. Right. <laughs> and, and the inverse uh, is, you know, that, that water is literally melting their, their lines, their supply lines. And then you go somewhere like Oklahoma or Minnesota, for example. Um, I don't think it would surprise anybody that Oklahoma has the worst water in the United States. Um, sorry for anybody listening from Oklahoma. It's what you got. <laughs> That's why it comes out of the ground looking like bad sweet tea. And for all of you Midwesterners, I know that you don't know what good sweet tea looks like. So bad sweet tea is worse. Oh, yikes. Shots taken. Uh, shots taken. I will own it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, but well, you guys make good pie. I'll give you that. Um, so Oklahoma has its own set. And then you you kind of get up into the, the real, you know, bacon basket as opposed to bread basket of the United States. And while there is an abundance of water in Minnesota, South Dakota, Iowa, Illinois, the second worst water in the United States is Minnesota. And so much of that is because it's surface water. We don't have deep wells, if you will. Uh, I think as an industry, we've identified that surface water is definitely a vector for disease. Um, but I'll talk to somebody and they say, yeah, I've got a deep well. It's 120 feet. Listen, if you don't have a well that's 300 feet deep, it's not really deep. Um, you've got to get through bedrock. And so we deal with all of all of the runoff, all of the contamination from the surface, even if you've got an 80-foot well. It might take three days to get there instead of three hours, but you're still dealing with those contaminants. Um, so that's that's one of the larger issues is just contamination. And I think as we look into the future, water scarcity is going to become a thing. Um, we don't build farms where we have good water. We build houses where we have good water. And so just having a water source going into the future is is going to be a challenge. We see that in the poultry industry. Um, I've got producers in Alabama that used to be able to have municipal water. And then the municipality shut them off and said, sorry, you can't have water. You're not a house. And, um, you know, you get that phone call of somebody saying, well, I was hooked up to city water because I, I only have mud coming out of the ground. Um, and so those are probably my my favorite sort of to help people that, you know, if you don't help them, they're not going to be farming anymore. Uh, and I'm that guy that that wants to see farms stay farms, right? Um, people ask me how I really got into this. And I remember the day that I had the privilege of, of listening to Senator Orrin Hatch speak. And he was on a tour for the Senate Ag Committee or whatever. And uh, a guy in the audience raised his hand and said, you know, I brought my son with me. The kid was like five. Um, and he wants to be a farmer. And I don't know if I want to hand my farm down to him. And uh, for whatever reason, that stuck with me, right? And when we look at our industry, the farmer is losing control over what they're allowed to do, whether it's from regulation, whether it's from integration, whether it's because a packer says you can and can't do that. Um, 
water is kind of the last thing that a producer can control. And I love being part of that. And I love, you know, the visits where somebody invites you in for lunch and you eat at their kitchen table and you see their kids or their grandkids and the pictures on the wall and the, you know, the 4-H pig and the 4-H cow. And um, I don't want to see that go away. So anything I can do to to help farms stay farms, I want to do. And um, we've got to be sustainable. And to me, that means that needs to be a profitable farm for generations. You know, yeah, I, I mean, we, yeah, go ahead. I, I, you know, I think we we hear all this sustainability stuff from big companies and, you know, they think that means that we aren't trying to take care of everything, right? We're We're somehow polluting this farm that's been in our family for three generations and it wants to be there for eight more. You know, I think there's no better conservationist than a farmer. Um, there's nobody more sustainable to than a farmer. And so if I can be a little part of that, um, I'll feel really good about the impact that, that I've had on this industry. You know, when we started this, if you had asked me what the worst state or what, what, what one of the best states is for water, I would have had Minnesota in my top five. Everybody does. Everybody does. And it comes down to you can't see the problem typically when it comes to water quality. Except um, in Oklahoma. Except in Oklahoma, you know you've got a bad. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I went noodling in Oklahoma this past year. And as I was walking through that, that river, I was asking myself if this was safe. <laughs> mm. No, I... Um, I often get asked, you know, would you drink this water even after I've designed and implemented a system? And the answer is no, right? Uh, number one, I didn't design it for people. And number two, I've seen some nasty water in my life. Uh, so I was, you know, even pre-COVID, I was the guy on the airplane that wiped everything down. Um, you know, I understand quarantine times based on diseases in our industry. Like none of this COVID stuff is new to me, short of a mask. Um, and on a dry poultry farm, I carried a mask with me. So, um, everybody's new normal has been my normal for years. Um, and (laughs) we, we like to joke, you know, if, if swine veterinarians, would have taken the the COVID piece on. I don't know that we'd still be in the in the same issues that we have now because we just know how to deal with disease. Yeah, no, that's that's absolutely true, and and it holds a lot of water. We actually through COVID, through hearing that, also then we're we're kind of enlightened to the fact of, you know, veterinarians are the ones who should be helping or we should be learning from to solve this human pandemic. When it comes to quality of care on farms, shouldn't we be taking a closer look at how doctors and nurses handle quality of care on an individualized basis, since that's what we're striving for right now with Precision Tech? And that actually opened a lot of doors. But when when we, I mean, I'm going to give you your soapbox question here, right? Like, <laughs> prepare to step up and take charge and, and, and embrace the moment. Cleanliness of water, cleaning water lines. How how simple should it be? What what should that process look like? And do you have any horror stories? Oh, uh, I'll save the horror stories. But yes, um, as far as, you know, my soapbox and 
I think the way to to start this is, and I've I've had plenty of arguments about it. There is an old, very old formula: PV equals nRT, and you probably remember it from some physics or chemistry yeah. or biology yeah. class. Yeah. So basically, that means the higher the pressure, the more volume you get through a standard water line. Okay. If you want more volume to your pigs, you increase the pressure and it should give them more volume. And the problem with that is there is a limiting factor to what pressure pigs can drink at. I'm not going to repeat the numbers because the drinker companies out there have done that research and have shown it. But in short, you can't increase the pressure enough to increase the volume that pigs require now that we're dealing with larger animals. Uh, Dr. Mike Brom in Minnesota uh, has paved the way for me to have this conversation, and it, it, I'd be remiss not to reference him. But he has shown that pigs drink for certain amounts of time. So if you want them to eat, you have to give them enough water to drink. Water is the limiting factor there. They won't eat more feed than you can give them to drink. But because we cannot increase pressure, the other letters in that equation, NRT, T is time, N is a fixed constant, R is radius of the pipe. Meaning, the only way to increase volume is to increase the radius of that pipe. So you need a larger pipe diameter. Well, short of taking three-quarter inch water lines out and putting one-inch water lines in, nobody's going to do, um, you have to clean them. One-eighth of an inch of buildup, which is the edge of a penny to the edge of Lincoln's head, is all the buildup it takes inside of a three-quarter inch water line to reduce your water volume going to your pigs by 30%. You will never notice it at the beginning of a turn. But at the end of the turn, when you're trying to figure out why won't these pigs get as big as they should, as fast as they should, 99% of the time, it is water volume. And so to increase the volume to those pigs, we have to clean the lines to get back to the three-quarter inch water line. Because right now, especially if you're in Oklahoma, uh, I feel like we're just dragging Oklahoma right now. But... If you have that buildup in there, that's what your limiting factor is. Now, there are biofilms and biologies that exist in there that are part of it too, but none of that matters if you can't get the water to the pigs. And so cleaning lines in between turns and even you know with sows, cleaning lines during a turn is huge. It's so big that in the poultry industry, you cannot get a contract to sell your birds at this point without signing on the line that you will clean your water lines in between each turn. And that's a six-week turn. And we're talking about six months on pigs, right? So the poultry guys got it figured out. Um, but then along with that becomes, you know, every time I ask this, somebody says, I've done it once, I'll never do it again. Or my cousin did it, my brother did it, whoever, and he clogged all his drinkers and I don't want to do it. And so then I ask, you know, you clogged your drinkers. You don't want to clog your drinkers with all the junk that's in your water line or, you know, junk, whatever four-letter word they choose to describe what's inside their water line. And they say, yeah. 
I go, okay, so you've admitted to yourself and to me that you know you have something in that water line. Let's get it out. Exactly. And that's right. And then they just stare at you, which is great. I love that stare of, (laughs) oh, no. And then the next question is, how do I get it out of there without having to change every nipple out, right? Because that's what no one has time for. Yeah, that's the question, right? Yeah, that's what you're hoping they get to is. Yeah, what do I I use? And how do I put it in with my medicator, right? Because that's what everybody wants to put it in with is a medicator. Um, I will say prior to last year, there was not a waterline cleaner that you could use with a medicator that was effective. There were plenty of them out there labeled for it, but based on the data, none that were actually effective. Um, Without trying to do a sales pitch, I'll say that one of those exists now. I'm um, proud to say that I was involved in making it come to fruition. So the ease of use, effective and properly labeled waterline cleaner for the swine industry exists now. Um, You guys can Google it if you want. I'm not going to pitch it, but it should take you maybe a couple hours. To, to fill the line with your medicator, let it sit overnight, flush it out the next day, and then everybody says, well, you know, if they've got nipple drinkers, what about the nipple drinkers that get stuck? I'm like, look, if you use parasitic acid chemistry, it's probably not going to get stuck. If it does, take a broom handle, because you can walk down the center of a barn with a broom handle and not have to, you know, climb over any gates or fences. Hit it with the broom handle until that piece of iron that didn't dissolve all the way comes out, and then it'll run. Now, you know, drinker companies may hate me for saying this, but if you've got a wooden broom handle, you can you can kind of haul off and hit a stainless steel drinker at this point. It'll be just fine, right? Um, so you might have an hour in cleaning water lines, and it shouldn't cost you more than a couple hundred dollars, if that, right? Um I don't like to talk about pricing. I don't sell things. So, you know, as far as retail stuff goes, but a typical barn, I mean, they've got 50 to 80 bucks in waterline cleaning and two hours worth of time. And then you look at the data and realize that could be worth four pounds on a nursery phase. It can be worth, you know, tens of pounds, days of production that you don't have to have on the finisher side. Um, it's That's just, the fastest way to getting paid like an NFL athlete right there. there Two hours is. of work and you get all that payback. <laughs> That's right. I mean, <laughs> it's just, it it makes so much sense. And there's no one that's not a believer after they clean the line for the first time. No one, right? Um, even if you think you have clean water lines, right? Like you don't see bacteria. You traditionally don't see, you know, calcium buildup and that type of thing. But when you hydrolyze it all and it comes out as, chocolate milk and you realize that you know the first drink those pigs get not you know i've brought up post wing scours right well you know you're uh dvm right like if you were in a lab and wanted to grow biology you would have a plate that had food on it you would put the biology on it with a little bit of water You would cover that plate, you would put it in an incubator, heat it up, and turn the lights off, right? Well, in between turns in a barn, we do cleaning and disinfection. We clean everything. 
except the inside of the water line. And then we heat up the barn and we let it sit, get warm, and then we put pigs in it, right? So the inside of that water line is full of food because it's, you know, the environment that it exists in, as well as the food that comes out of the ground. We heat it up. It's dark and it's wet. There is no better place in that barn to grow biology than inside of that water line in between turns. And then we put new pigs in there and we hit them with all of that biology from that stagnant water line in the first week of their life. And we can't figure out why they scour. It's like, just clean the water line. Absolutely. No, I mean, this is, this is awesome. Like the amount of information you just shared, I'm sure everybody out there is getting something out of that. And I guess as we kind of wrap things up, I have a few questions that I like to ask. One of them being, what is something about you most of your colleagues do not know? Oh, gosh, I don't know. I, uh, I, I'm the kind of guy that, that there's only one speed for me, right? Like there's not a secret Jesse, not at work person. Um, <laughs> so I, I perpetually overshare. Um, and I, I don't know if you can tell, but I don't have a hard time talking. So um, <laughs> I would say so, maybe that I'm a little bit introverted, believe it or not. Um, really? Yeah. I kind of swing back and forth. Right. I, I, covet my time by myself um and there's like i there's no better sleep for me than on an airplane that would those two things i uh i don't i don't sleep well on the road but when i get on an airplane i am asleep before we take off and i wake up when the landing gear comes down wow you yeah that's a that's a coveted skill right there So are you at you had harped on Oklahoma a few times and we had laughed about it. Are you a West Virginia fan then? No, actually, I'm so glad you said that. I am from Western Virginia, which is the song that John Denver wrote is about Western Virginia, where (laughs) I grew up. And there is a West Virginia joke in there somewhere about how they don't understand that song is not about the state West Virginia. Um, but the Shenandoah Valley and the Shenandoah River from the song is the river that I grew up fishing and canoeing in, in Western Virginia. So thank you for letting me get that off my chest. Oh, you're very welcome. I was going to say, like, if you're a West Virginia fan, then then you have all the, the reason to, to harp and complain about Oklahoma <laughs> because they got your number about 10 different ways. But no, no I um. So I went to Virginia Tech and James Madison. So Virginia Tech is perpetually overrated in football. I've said it officially now. Um, But James Madison, now there's a school that has brought a couple national championships home. So, you know, we wear that with pride. (laughs) So I guess as we kind of wrap things up, the last question I like to ask is, what is a golden nugget that you might have for listeners, a life lesson that they can all all take from? Um, Goodness. I would just say, you know, I don't know if it's a life lesson, but everybody wants to talk about food. And we, look, I don't work with, uh, on the human side, because I don't like talking to people as as a general rule. 
And I think most farmers are farmers because they don't want to have a boss and they don't want to deal with people. But the industry and the consumer desperately wants to talk about food. And some of the best conversations I've had are with people on an airplane that were a vegetarian, right? And didn't understand what I did and how terrible it was. And and I have tried really hard to get people to understand that nobody cares more than a producer, like hands down. And so if you're, if you're ready to have that conversation in a calm, logical way, not, you know, emotional, um, you can make some friends and really kind of get the information out there about our industry that needs to be out there because we don't do a great job at talking about all the good things we have, right? All the good things that we've done, that the farm you're on, you know, used to be your great grandparents, they homesteaded it, that the reason it's not a, you know, uh, strip mall today is because you guys didn't sell out when the times got hard. Um, and I, I think if if we did a better job being open to those conversations, and I know that we've learned some hard lessons in the past, um, there are ways for us to really show people just how much we care. It's it's incredible how. A lot of times when people do confront us, we we want to talk about what we're doing right now, right away. And kind of like you alluded to, they're not asking you to rush into an answer. And they've already asked you the question. Take the time. Yeah. This is where it all began. And I think some vulnerability there, too, is this is where we were at. This is what it felt like. But this is where we had a lot of problems. And I mean, then we got this. And then we did this. And today... This is how much better we are than what we were back then. And, and I'm, I'm excited to have been a part of that journey. And now they know so much more than just this one little bit of context that they may not agree with. And they know you care. Like that's all anybody wants out of their food is it for it to have come from somebody that cares. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Jesse, for joining us on the Popular Pig Podcast. It's been a real pleasure to have you on as a guest and we can't thank you enough. Thank you for having me. I, uh, I really appreciate it. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Popular Pig. We aspire to learn and grow together through the experience and wisdom shared by our esteemed guests. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues within the swine industry. For more information, please go to popularpig.com to receive updates when new episodes are available. Popular Pig is brought to you by SwineTech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com.